many of you are aware that over these last few months together, we have been steadily working our way through the Gospel of John. And so this morning, we're coming to John chapter 15. And if you have your Bible, would you turn to John 15 as we read together these first 10 verses, in fact, first 11 verses of John chapter 15. To help put this passage in context, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all take place the night before Jesus died. In chapter 14, which begins with those wonderful words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That chapter comes to an end with the disciples leaving the upper room and walking with Jesus through the old city of Jerusalem, out of one of the main gates into the Kidron Valley, and going over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while all of that is taking place, Jesus speaks to his disciples. And so chapter 15, verse 1, begins with these words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me, however, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. And I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Amen. And we do trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. This morning, we are living in days that, to say the least, are unprecedented. The World Health Organization has highlighted the importance of properly responding to this virulent pandemic. The president has declared a state of national emergency. He has enacted travel bans with multiple countries. European nations have closed their borders. The economy is struggling badly to respond to a volatile financial market. And here, as many cities and towns and states across the nation have stopped 
children and individuals meeting in schools, cinemas, restaurants, theatres, and even churches are closed. Hospitals are now cancelling non-essential medical procedures. Gatherings of more than 50 people are prohibited. Medical professionals are asking us to practice social distancing while encouraging us to wash our hands multiple times a day. We do indeed live in unprecedented times. And yet, despite the difficult days we are living through, I chuckled last week, in fact, earlier this week, I think this past Monday, when I asked a young mom how she was handling having four children under 12 at home day after day. And she said to me, Richard, when I heard schools were closing, I said to my children that night, if you help your dad and I clean your room, if you do all the chores I'm about to give you, and if after all of this is complete and I think you have done well, as a reward, I'm going to give you the entire week off of school. And when she told me that, obviously I laughed and enjoyed it. And here was a young mom thinking in ways that normally she wouldn't have to. And in these challenging days, many of us are called to do just that, to think in ways we wouldn't normally, to make sure that we are, in fact, following medical advice and being careful and responsible, but also prayerful. Please pray for our medical professionals. Many of them are stepping up sacrificially, selflessly, working with those who are infected, not thinking of themselves, but seeking to bring healing and wholeness to those who are infected. Please pray for our scientists who are seeking to bring to an end this virus. They're seeking to contain it and eradicate it and help us to get back to some semblance of normal daily life. They would appreciate your prayers and your concerns this morning. And as we come to John chapter 15, I think we will discover, as we often do on Sunday morning, that when we come to a passage of Scripture, God in his sovereign love and grace brings it to life for us. It begins to speak into our lives and it brings not only leading and guidance and direction into our lives, but it brings us to that place, a place of calm and peace where God uses his word to teach us and to enable us and equip us and resource us to face some of the challenges that we are facing in these unprecedented ways. And that is my trust and prayer this morning as we come to John chapter 15. Now, before we begin to immerse ourselves in this passage, allow me to please illustrate what I think we'll find in this passage. About a year ago, I was invited to attend and participate in a pastor's conference in Egypt. And my son, Michael, who's a photographer, came with me. 
And as you can imagine, Michael had all sorts of fun on a few days after the conference. We added two or three days to appreciate the historicity and the ancient days of Egypt. And so, of course, we visited the merchants in downtown Cairo, we visited the pyramids, we visited the temples at Karnak and Luxor. But one of my favorite pictures from that trip was when we were in the old marketplace in downtown Cairo. And the picture you can see has become one of my favorites because whenever you take a picture... It is good to have right there in the foreground an image that draws you in. And when I saw this image, immediately I saw the little girl on the left. She's holding her grandfather's hand. It looks as if grandfather has given her something to eat. And she is busy eating, it looks like bread or a sandwich of some kind. But in his other hand, he's holding her school bag. And I suspect he has met her at the school gate. They are walking home together. And as you look at that image, it's pretty clear that granddaughter and grandfather are close friends. Clearly, granddad has been speaking to her, and she's been responding, and she's holding her head at a bit of an angle, almost as if to process what he's been saying. And immediately to the right of Grandad, I see a young couple. And I suspect, and I may be entirely wrong, so please forgive me for this, but the young man looks as if he's disagreeing with his girlfriend or his new wife. There's a bit of a distance between them, and I think he's keeping his distance because he disagrees. And so all of that is in the foreground. But as you look beyond the foreground, you begin to see other people going about their daily business. Here is real people in real lives. And in the background, you can see a blurred image. It's not very clear, but it's of an old building in Cairo next to an ancient marketplace. You can see cobbled stones And the background and apartments in that building are a little unclear. And often, in a good photograph, the background is unclear because it helps make the foreground pop a little. It draws your eye to it immediately. It has a sense of now and a sense of immediacy. Now, you may be sitting listening this morning saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying about foreground and background, and I understand your interpretation of the people involved. But what on earth does that have to do with John chapter 15? How does that connect in any way? Well, let me suggest this, that whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, and especially John chapter 15, which opens with the words of Jesus, as Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. That's the forefront. That's what's happening immediately in front of us. That's what takes up our attention. But it's also helpful to understand the contextual backdrop to John chapter 15. 
moments ago, before I read the passage, I mentioned to you that this was the night before Jesus' arrest and trial, crucifixion and death. And it's helpful to understand that as we now begin to explore this passage together. It's helpful to know that on the night before he died, Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, those who were his closest friends, those who were going through difficult days, he had already told them that he must leave them. And they are feeling abandoned. In fact, in chapter 14, they say, we feel like orphans. Jesus, where are you going? Why can't we come with you? And he spent the rest of the chapter trying to reassure them, to remind them of the promises of God when he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And notice the strength of those words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And so whenever we come to a passage of Scripture, we should never seek to separate the foreground and the background. They are intrinsically linked. The daily and the divine, the secular and the sacred, the seemingly important linked to the purposes and plans of God. Sometimes the background is unclear. Sometimes it's a little uncertain. We're not quite sure what is taking place. But it is every bit as important as the foreground. And here in this passage, as Jesus begins to teach his disciples what he means when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. What he is telling us, is this, that when God begins to work in our lives, when he begins to move us to a new level in our appreciation of his love and his grace, in a new understanding of what he is actively doing in our lives, please remember that God is acting like a gardener. When Jesus says, my father is the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And what he means is this, that the Christian life is a little like a vine. It grows, it develops, and when it's cared for, the gardener comes along and he removes the dried and withered branches He takes off bark that shouldn't be there. And then he takes his sharpest knife and he prunes, sometimes deeply, sometimes intensely, but always carefully. And he prunes for one single purpose, in order to bring about more fruit. Jesus is making the point that the spiritual life is a little like a growing vine. And there are moments when God will use difficult circumstances, challenges in our lives to remove from us the dead, 
the withered growth that once had life. And he begins to strip that away. And then as he goes further and further, he will begin to prune back some signs of life, green leaves. And there are times in my own life, as I seek to grow and mature in my faith, that I focus on the green shoots that are there, the leaves that are beginning to come. And God is never fully content with simply green leaves. Often, he removes them, because he is always looking for fruit, fruit that will ripen. And by that, he means this. He's looking for Christian character. He's looking for maturity. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for a life of prayer. And sometimes if you imagine those green leaves, almost as if we talk a good game, we mean to do this. We mean to do that. And somehow we simply never get around to it. We're distracted by schedules and emails and phone calls and events. And so we never take the time to spend with him prayerfully while he develops our character and our personality and our desires and our motives, and our hopes, and our dreams. And so as he calls to us, and calls us closer, he begins to prune. And there are times when he prunes that we feel is too long and too deep, and we're resistant, and we say, Lord, no, haven't I shown some signs of growth? And he says, absolutely. And you should be grateful and thankful for it and well done. But he's never interested in cosmetic surgery, growth on the outside. But there are moments when he's interested in intensive surgery, radical surgery, deep, invasive, that will change us Not simply our behavior, not simply the way we interact, not simply some behavioral patterns, because he knows that when he prunes us, heart and mind and soul, he's changing our character. He's transforming our lives. He is working in a deep level. And when he does that, he forces us to be more and more dependent on Christ, because that's where our strength comes from. That's where our growth comes from. That's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. That's where you'll find peace. That's where you'll find deep, transformative contentment. That's where you grow. And that's where you develop trust. Some of us over these last few weeks together have been a little anxious, concerned, now perhaps even fearful, uncertain about what the future holds. But in this passage several times, Jesus says to his disciples, 
almost as if he is saying to them, let me say this, and then I'll say it again and again and again and again, and multiple times, over and over and over, in these first 11 verses, he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. In other words, remain in me by doing what? Spending time with me. Read my word. Go deeper in your faith. Remain in me. Spend time with me in prayer. Bring to me your concerns, your fears, your anxieties. Bring to me the things you are fretting over. Bring to me your children and their safety, your parents and how much you love and care for them, want nothing to happen to them. Bring them to me prayerfully, and I will wrap them in my arms of love and grace and hold them close. And when you're tempted to look for any sign of growth, let's go deeper. And when you're tempted to settle For where you are, let's go deeper. Because when he takes you deeper, he begins to prune away indifference, complacency, poor thinking patterns, bad and selfish behavior, and he makes you more and more Christ-like each day. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. There are days when that will be hard. Days when it will be difficult. But let me try to draw things to a close this morning by focusing on the major theme of this passage. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And as he walks with his disciples towards the Garden of Gethsemane, he reminds them that his father is a gardener. And God is about to prune in the life of Jesus by taking away his closest, his best friends. He's about to go deeper and put him on trial, then to be tortured, and then prune deeper again by placing on him the sin of the world. And more than that, he is about to make him sin for us. Every sin that's ever been committed, every sin that ever will be committed, is placed on him and his father continues to prune. And when Jesus says, my father is a gardener, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And in the next 24 hours, Jesus himself will seek to follow the advice and the instruction and the teaching he's passing on to his disciples. I think if Jesus was applying it to us today, 
he would say in the midst of these difficult, challenging, uncertain days, remain in me. For that's where our trust is encouraged. Remain in me, that's where it's developed. Remain in me as he continues to prune. He moves us to that deeper level. And it is worth us remembering this morning in days of prosperity and in days of adversity, you can hear him say, remain in me. While attending a wedding or a funeral, remain in me. On Good Friday or Easter Sunday, the message is the same, remain in me. On the days when the market goes up or the days when the market goes down, remain in me. On days when we face a state of emergency, remain in me. In days when European countries are closing their borders, remain in me. When the president initiates travel ban, Remain in me. When schools and restaurants and churches and theatres are closed, you can remain in him. When you are fearful, remain in him. When you're anxious, you can trust him. When you're uncertain and you are tempted to pessimism and doubt, let him prune away those temptations and remain in him because he will remove the withered and the dead growth. And as he prunes, he will refresh and renew. You can trust him. And finally, let me be very practical this morning. Recently, we've been hearing from medical experts or civil and national leaders that it's helpful to practice social distancing. And I understand exactly what they mean. But let me suggest this. This is not a time for social distancing. This is a time for physical distancing. Socially become active. Phone family members. Be in touch with friends. Pick up for them groceries. Go to the pharmacy for your parents or folks in your neighborhood who can't get out. And begin to be the hands and feet of Christ for them. Do so responsibly carefully, prayerfully. And what you will find is that when you begin to sense God pruning in your life and changing and refreshing and renewing you, he then calls you to serve. Because when you remain in him, serving others, caring for others, is the natural, instinctive response to a spiritual income. And when this week you're tempted to surrender to doubt and fear and concern, you absolutely can trust his word and remain in him. Let's pray together.
Father, on this Sunday morning, when across our nation, our fellow citizens are anxious, uncertain, and fearful, we ask, O oh God, that you would presence yourself in our midst, that they would find in you a deep, eternal, infinite trust. And we ask that not only would you bring your peace to them, but you would also begin to prune their lives and draw them into a deep, abiding relationship with you, because in you is found peace and courage and love and grace. Father, enable us day by day in the week ahead to be proactive in caring for others, to daily pray for our children and our parents and our grandparents, to look after the most vulnerable in our society and grant to us divine resources, your strengthening, your enabling, and equip us to be Christ-like as we seek to live for you in these unprecedented days. Oh, Father, hear our prayers this day. Work in our midst as we trust and commit and commend ourselves to you. For you are the true vine. You are our gardener. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.